is. We thank you for this Holy Week, God. What a tremendous, this Holy, Lenten season as we move towards Holy Week. What a, what a tremendous experience this has been. And God, we pray now that you would bless the proclamation of this word, bless the preparation, use it for your glorification. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 15, once again. Verse 12, following, Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. I want to continue our series of sermons today entitled Journeying to the Cross. Journeying to the Cross. In today's scripture text, Mark points, uh, uh, Mark records Pontius Pilate as the last stop for Jesus before his crucifixion. Pontius Pilate was governor of the province of Judea where Jerusalem was located. He had 6,000 soldiers under his command assigned to him by Tiberius Caesar who was the emperor of Rome in order that he be able to maintain complete control over 2.5 million Jews. And while Pilate may have been a powerful governor he was certainly not a popular governor amongst the Jewish people in fact Jewish uh, historian Flavius Josephus uh, gives reasons for Pilate's unpopularity with the people Josephus states he was harsh prideful and unbearably cruel Josephus describes how Pilate slaughtered many Jews and indeed passed sentence on Christ. He was greedy and he had a history of carrying out executions without trial or due process of the law. His policies such as marching Roman soldiers through the city of Jerusalem carrying banners bearing the likeness of the emperor and using temple funds to finance a mammoth construction project infiltrated the Jews. In other words, he took money from the temple to finance his building project and of course, needless to say, they were infuriated at him. But notice, amid the contention and the hatred of Pilate, when Caiaphas, the high priest, the chief priest, and the elders and the scribes wanted to kill Jesus, they needed Pilate's executive order to make it happen. So they went to him for help. Isn't it strange how evil works? How people who can't stand each other would rather have no dealings with each other under normal conditions and circumstances, how they will find a way to become teammates. 
in order to carry out wicked plans. Isn't that amazing? Uh, normal circumstances, they don't like each other. They can't stand each other, have no dealings with each other, but, 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 but will find a way to become teammates and, and to work together in order to carry out evil plans. Well, such being the case, the religious leaders showed up at Pilate's door early in the morning demanding Jesus be crucified. Their strategy was, was based upon three false accusations. Luke 23, through verses 1 through 5, points out these accusations. First, Jesus was in, accused of encouraging the people not to pay taxes to Rome. That's the first accusation they told Pilate when they woke him up that morning. Verse 2 states, we find this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. This, of course, was false. The truth, as recorded in Mark 12, verses 13 through 17, is this. When some Pharisees and Herodians tried to trap Jesus concerning whether or not the people should pay taxes to Rome, Jesus asked them whose inscription is on the denarius. Denarius being a Roman coin. He says, whose description, whose, whose picture is on this coin? When they replied, Caesar's, Jesus said, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Yeah. Jesus said to the people, in essence, pay your tithes, which belong to God, but pay your taxes, which belong to Caesar. Yeah. And they marveled at him, verse 17. Now, I realize that this verse doesn't offer any hope to tax evaders, but it's what Jesus said. Second, they accused Jesus of treason. That is a plot to overthrow the Roman government. And, they, and also they accused him not only of wanting to overthrow the government, they accused him of, of be, wanting to become king in place of Caesar. In John 19 and 12, they attempted to threaten Pilate to to action with the words, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. They sought to gain ground in Luke 20 through 23 and 2 by charging Jesus with saying that he himself is Christ a king. Look hard at the wording of the text. Do you see the fallacy in the accusation? The fallacy is Jesus never claimed to be a king in the way his accusers define kingship. But he did claim to be Christ, the king, in the way God defines kingship. And there's a big difference between being a king king defied by man and being the king described by God. For example, a king reigns for a season, but the king reigns forever. A king has some power, but the king has all power. A king rules a nation but the king rules the world 
at the sound of the name of a king, some knees may bow, but at the name of the king, at the name of Jesus Christ, the king of kings and lords of lords, Every knee will bow of those in heaven and on the earth and those under the earth. And every knee should bow, willfully give it up, willfully confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So says Philippians 2 and 11. There's a huge difference between a king and the king. Jesus declares himself in Romans 13, 11, saying, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Only the king can make this kind of a statement and make it happen. And third, they accuse Jesus of causing riots all over the countryside. Notice Luke 23, 5 states, he stares up the people teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. Well, he was preaching and teaching, and people were getting excited, but there was absolutely no evidence of any rioting nor disorderly conduct on behalf of Jesus or his followers. In fact, in fact, God is a God of order. And whenever you find disorder, disarray, chaos, confusion, or turmoil, you can be certain that God is not the author of it. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 and 33, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. The claim that Christians were stirring up trouble was a ludicrous claim. All four gospel accounts of the trial of Jesus confirms that Pontius Pilate saw through the religious leader's false accusations against Jesus. He was well aware of the motive behind their madness. Matthew 27, 18 says of Pilate, for he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. Pilate was well aware that they had handed him over because of envy. Well, what was the origin of this envy? Why did they envy Jesus so much? Why did they hate him so much? Why did they want him off the scene? Well, several reasons. First, They could not control him. He feared no man, and he was in no one's hip pocket. He could not be bought, bribed, or beaten off of his mission. Second, he never became part, a party to the system, the fraternity, or the club. Thus, he had no obligations, no motivations, or expectations of ever playing their game. Third, the people recognized that there was something different about Jesus. There was something different about his teaching and his preaching. 
Notice the words of Matthew 6, 28 and 29. Quote, and so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were, get this, astonished at his teachings, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. End quote. You see, the authority of Jesus did not come from the halls of academia. It was not derived from rabbinical ties or associations. Rather, the authority of Jesus to preach, to teach, to heal, to deliver, to forgive sins, to do ministry came from God. And that's what got the people excited. And that's what made the religious elitist furious. And four, wherever Jesus showed up, genuine, authentic, life-changing ministry took place. The high priest, the chief priest, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes had been in town for decades. For the most part, going through religious motions, managing their traditions, and maintaining the status quo and living large. But when Jesus came to town, lives were transformed. When Jesus came to town, minds were, were, were changed. When Jesus came to town, came to town, hearts were fixed. Jesus came to town, the lame were walking, deaf were talking, blind received their sights, and even Lazarus got up from the grave. All of this and more made people mad, angry, who had credentials and money and influence and affluence, but no power from on high. Pilate read them like a book. And even while contemplating the innocence of Jesus, Pilate's wife sent him a word of confirmation. Matthew 27, 19 reveals while he was sitting on the judgment seat, that means while he was there contemplating and thinking and, and reasoning and, and wrestling with this crucial decision he had to make, his wife sent him a message saying, have nothing to do with this innocent man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Matthew 27 and 18. Now Pilate is facing at least five serious dilemmas. First, if he lets Jesus go free, Caiaphas, the high priest, and the other religious power brokers will report to Emperor Tiberius that Pilate allowed Jesus to go free, thus permitting the forbidden crime of treason to go unpunished. His second dilemma. If he allows Jesus to go free, he faces the possibility of a riot. A riot was bad news for the governor because it would send a message to the emperor that he was weak and ineffective as a leader and unable to command respect and maintain control over his region, thus costing him his job. 
Third, if he sanctioned the crucifixion of Jesus, he would lose, uh, 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 if he didn't sanction his crucifixion, he would lose credibility in the eyes of the high priest and his followers would view him as a sorry leader who would give in to their demands if enough pressure was applied. Yeah, if he sanctioned the crucifixion of Jesus, they would they would view him as a sorry leader. And and any time they wanted to put pressure on him to make him make a decision, they would feel they had him. Fourth, he would never be able to look his wife in the eyes without feeling the guilt and the shame. Fifth. He would have a miserable time living with himself, knowing he unjustifiably condemned Jesus, an innocent man. Now, amid the chaos and confusion, Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, it is as you say. Pilate marveled at the cool, calm, and collect composure of Jesus. He obviously had never ri- witnessed anything like this before where a person on trial for their lives only had five words to say. Then it's a person on trial for, for life is pressing the claim or pressing their claim of innocence. A person guilty on trial for life is either lying asking for mercy, or trying to find some loophole in the system. But not Jesus. He's confident in who he is, concentrating on the mission he came to accomplish, and convinced God has everything under control. Let that be a lesson to us, that no matter what we face, we need to be confident. We need to concentrate on the mission. Convinced that God has everything under his control. Now, as this scenario winds to a close, Pilate sees one last opportunity to set Jesus free. There was a tradition at the Passover celebration of the governor allowing one prisoner to go free. The governor would, would, would let a convicted criminal of the people's choice. He would pardon that criminal from any crimes that criminal had committed. So when the multitude asked a pilot in verse 8 to do just as he had always done for them, meaning to release a prisoner to us, he asked in verse 9, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Do you want me to let Jesus go? Is Jesus the one? But the crowd, having been stirred up by the chief priest, shouted back, no, release unto us Barabbas. Well, who was Barabbas? He was a murderer and a robber, according to Matthew 15 and 7 and John 18 and 40. Surely Pilate must have felt that the crowd would have desired to see Jesus go free over a notorious criminal who was so vicious, so vile, so vindictive, so hateful, so harmful, so hideous, so dangerous, so diabolical, and so destructive that he was chained while in prison. 
verse 7 says, and there was one named Barabbas. Get this. Who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Did you get that? But Barabbas was such a menace to society. Such a danger to the well-being of the community. Such a terror in the area. Such a threat to the neighborhood. Such hazard to humanity. Such danger to the district that he was chained up while being locked up. Yet with full knowledge of Barabbas, the crowd said, we'd rather have this notorious criminal walking loose in our neighborhoods in full range and in full view of our wives, our sons and our daughters, our homes and businesses. We'd rather have him walking in our midst than have Jesus go free. Think about it. Here was a man so bad in Barabbas that armed Roman soldiers kept him bound in chains while they were guarding him. And yet people said, let him go free. Walk among us. Live among us. Be among us. So Pilate had to be shocked with the crowd, ch- ch- crowd's choice of Barabbas instead of Jesus. But, but, but there's another reason why Pilate was shocked at the response of the crowd. That is, he was shocked because many of the people in the crowd had marched in the Palm Sunday crowd just a few days previously. Many of them on Sunday had been laying down palm branches and shouted, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Many of them in the crowd had been shouting just a few days previously, Hosanna in the highest. Disciples would have been there as well as many of the people that Jesus had helped, many of the people that he had healed would have been there, many of the people that he had encouraged. And so certainly Pilate had to be shocked when the crowd's voice overwhelmingly cried, give us Barabbas. Bewildered baffled and flat blown away Pilate asked what then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ Matthew 27 and 22 what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ Mark says what do you want me to do with him who you call the king of the Jews Mark 15 and 12 So they cried again in verse 13, crucify him. Now in utter desperation, Pilate appealed to any ounce of religion, any degree of sanity, any amount of rationality, any portion 
of common decency, any fraction of common sense, any amount of civility by asking this question, what has he done? He's now at the wit's end. He's now at the end of his rope. He's done everything he knows to do to get himself off the hook. He's appealing to any religion. I know you are a religious people. You talk about mercy and love and justice. That doesn't work. He appeals to any degree of sanity. Surely you are sane people. Any amount of rationality, where is your reasoning? Any portion of common decency, is there anything left in you that would cause you to tell the truth? Any fraction of common sense, anything that would let you know that decision you're making just does not make sense. Any amount of civility, any amount of civil behavior, any amount of rational conduct. So ask, what has he been done? What has he done? But they cried all the more in verse 14, crucify him. Wanting to please the crowd. Pilate released Barabbas to them. Turned Jesus over to the mob after he had scourged him, meaning he had him whipped with a short handle, whipped with pieces of metal and rock tied to the ends of the straps. And then he turned Jesus over to the mob to be crucified. Now, there are just three lessons that I want us to get from this. Lesson one. Evil happens. Evil finds a way when truth is left to popular opinion. Just because the deal on the table is popular with the crowd does not make it right. Just because those with the loudest voices, the deepest pockets, the biggest sticks say jump, does not mean that people of God should jump. We, as people of God, as individual Christians, Believers in Jesus Christ should only jump when what we are jumping at, jumping on, or jumping into is supported by the word, the will, and the ways of God. We should be moved by the Holy Spirit and not fashions or trends or popular theologies, ideologies, terminologies, or psychology. Lesson two. Evil happens when truth is subject to our feelings and emotions. Let me say that again. Evil happens when truth is subject to feelings and emotions. 
choosing to sacrifice the truth on the altar of feelings and emotions is a recipe for disaster. Can I get a witness? We need to be on God. We need to be on God and refuse to allow people to work us emotionally to the point where we forfeit our ability to make wise choices. In 1972, I'm dating myself. I think I was then about a sophomore in high school. Some of you remember this. In 1972, there was a singing group called The Main Ingredient. Now, young people may not remember that group, but they were called The Main Ingredient. They recorded a popular hit tune entitled Everybody plays the fool. Yeah, sometimes they said there's no exception to the rule. Everybody plays the fool. This line of the song illustrates my point. Here, here's, a, here's a line in that song. I still remember it like, like yesterday. The song says, the line goes, how can you help it when the music starts to play? And your ability to reason is swept away. Let me read that again. How can you help it when the music starts to play? They were talking about the Shylikes, the Delphonics, Martha Reeves and the Vandellas, Smokey Robinson, James Brown, all the rest of them. But how can you help it when the music starts to play? And your ability to reason is swept away. Stop right there. We as people of God should never allow the music, the mood, the moment, the methods, nor the madness to sweep away our ability to reason, to make wise choices to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit and to follow biblical guidelines in all we do regardless of how we feel. Lesson three. Evil happens when Christians refuse to stand for holiness. When Christians refuse to stand for righteousness, Regardless of whom or what we must stand against. No question, Pilate had Caesar on his mind when faced with the most important decision of his life. In fact, if he fails at this junction, his career is over. If he flounders at this intersection, his power is dissolved. If he flunks out at this crossroad, his prestige dissipates and his prominence disappears. But that's not all. He has the crowd on his mind. And if they rebel and turn violent, what if his palace is overrun and he and his family are killed? So what does he do? He gives up 
He gives out. He gives in to the demand of the misguided, misinformed, misled multitude. I've often heard it said that the only thing it takes for evil to prosper is for good people to do nothing. Can I, can I switch that around just a little bit? The only thing it takes for evil to prosper is for God's people, Christian people, to do nothing. Bottom line, if it ain't right, if it ain't of God, don't go there. 